thank you, worship team. That was um, a real blessing. Very thankful and very moved. And what a beautiful time of worship. Don't you all agree? Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning once again. Uh, welcome to 116 Bible Church. Um, as we continue... Um, our service today from the reading of God's Word and the preaching of God's Word. I'd ask you to turn your Bibles, if you would please, uh, to, the, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Which reads, starting in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves every, to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. Lord, we tremble in your presence. Lord, we come to you to the throne of grace with boldness because of the precious, righteous blood of Christ. Lord, we come with bravery because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we're here this morning to worship you, to exalt you, to lift you up, to make you known and to be known by you. Lord, we ask today that your presence would move powerfully amongst the congregation today. Lord, that you would enable me, enable me, Lord, as a weak man, a desperate man, that you would give me the strength and the ability to proclaim your word. Oh, glorious Christ. We exalt you over this day. You own all things, Lord. You are in control of all things. We are just mere men. Lord, we'd ask today that this time together would be honoring and pleasing in your sight. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen and so be it. Our focus first this morning will be on 2 Corinthians 4.1 where Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The church in Corinth began in AD 52 when Paul had visited there on his second missionary journey. He stayed one and a half years accomplishing an awful lot for the gospel's sake. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul's letter addresses issues that were tearing the church apart, primarily the arrival of self-styled what we would term false apostles, false prophets, who were assaulting Paul's character, sowing discord among the believers and teaching false doctrine. Issues with others accepting his authority and questioning his speaking ability. And obviously, sexual immorality that was rampant within the church, which after Paul's severe letter, they had actually repented. And they also repented of the rebellion against Paul and were now showing signs of true repentance and fruit of a true saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The hallmarks of Paul's ministry to the churches could be summed up by triumph through Christ and sincerity in the sight of God. If our faith could be summed up, it's triumph. Not through anything of ourselves, but through Christ and a sincerity, not a false deceptive motive, but a sincerity of heart in the sight of God. He compares the glorious ministry of the righteousness of Christ to the ministry of condemnation, which is in the law, which we see in chapter three and declares his faith in the validity of his ministry in spite of intense persecution. Let me just say something really quick and I don't want to drag this out, but anytime you are devoted to truth and you are willing to be faithful and loyal to what Christ has called us to, you will, you will suffer persecution. And if you're not suffering persecution, it may be an indication that maybe you're not truly following Christ in the way he's commanded and called us to follow him. And Paul outlines the basis of his Christian faith by hitting the pinnacle of the chapter, the pinnacle of the book really is a new nature and the exchange of our sin for the righteousness of Christ. History points out that Paul started close to 20 churches himself with many more born out of those by his apprentice leaders. In Asia alone, the New Testament mentions Ephesus, Smyrna, Smyrna, Pergamum, 
Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis. Interestingly enough, Ephesus was really a city full of churches meeting in homes, and from that work, all others, from that particular work, that particular plant, all the other churches were actually started. So while starting upwards of 20 churches in one's life is impressive, right? You think about that. What is far more impressive is how many thousands, think of this for a moment, how many thousands of churches that were birthed from those and are still being birthed today. When Paul left earth at the end of his life, he not only left some church plants, he left the DNA of a movement that would eventually spread to the extent that even the Roman Empire itself would surrender to Christianity. History was changed in dramatic fashion through this one man's obedience. Who about that? The DNA of Paul's heritage is our focus this morning. We have a very special service planned for today and I have the wonderful privilege and honor as a pastor of this church, along with Pastor Sean, of ordaining two men for the work of the ministry. I would also say that this service is more than just an ordination. Before you think it's just an ordination service, it's it's a charge. And it's a charge not only to two men that will be responding to the call, but to all of you who may think that a charge like this is only for a select few. That the word of God in these particular verses only apply to certain individuals. I'd like to show from the word of God this morning that the qualifications of elders and pastors and evangelists are the same as each and every one of us who claim to be Christians. Yet, at the same time, we know that there's a higher standard of leadership within the local church. And the scriptures are very clear at articulating that, showing therefore that the word of God deals with every single one of our our integrity and our character and how we live our lives and how pleasing we are to our Lord. But also we know that there's a higher level of accountability for those who are called into leadership. I'd like to focus on exactly what Paul was saying in this verse where he says, therefore having this ministry... By what? The mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I want to deal with this subject in light of our dear brothers Dave Griffin and Ivan Holt uh, this morning. Dave Griffin, as he embarks upon the pastoral call at a new 116 Bible church plant in Maryland. And Ivan is being sent out as our evangelist from 116 Bible Church, Watauga. Maybe it'd just be easier to say Texas. Brother Dave Griffin uh, has been in the gospel trenches now for quite some time. I don't know how many years it's been. I've known Dave for many years. Uh, We spend many days, even years together, preaching Christ to the lost and dying souls around the world. One that comes to mind is Camden, New Jersey and the hard streets of Philadelphia. Think about those times. It still makes the the hairs of my arms stand on end when we think of the, the time spent ministering to the lost in some of those dark and forgotten cities. 
Brother Dave, he would never admit this, but I would say is by far one of the best apologists I know. A man who knows how to rightly divide the word of God. Uh, Dave has graced many college campuses, abortion mills, street corners, with Bible in hand and the fire of God in his heart. Dave is a man that loves and defends the truth. Dave has also spent countless hours laboring in the development of gospel literature, media, and an upcoming documentary titled The Crisis of Missions. But outside of salvation in Christ, Dave's greatest accomplishment is his godly marriage to his beautiful wife, Essie, and the blessing of raising his lovely three precious children. <clears throat> Brother and soon-to-be pastor Dave Griffin is a very dear and close friend of mine. And it will be a great privilege and honor to see this ordination take place today. He himself has ministered to me in some of my darkest hours, and I love the man greatly. Dave's a man in whom the Bible would say is a man without guile, blameless, a man whose pattern of life is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our brother, Ivan Holt, who will not be planning a church, but will be ordained and sent from our church as an ordained evangelist with the accountability of his pastors and local church. As many of you know of Ivan's deep love and knowledge of the Bible. If any of you have had the chance to get to know Ivan for very long, you'll soon realize his deep love for the word of God. Ivan basically is the walking Bible. He just rattles off verses left and right. I and mean, he just seems to be able to have a large comprehension of the word of God. And it's been an absolute blessing to the body of Christ here at 116. But beyond his knowledge of the scriptures, Ivan has demonstrated love for the church, for the people of God. Ivan has, a, as you all have seen, a, a servant heart. He's always the first one who volunteers to help. First one here in the morning. Even with the mundane things that go on here at the church. And as I drive up to the church building, I see this man pacing back and forth in the front lawn of the church, crying out to God and interceding for me and the saints here of 116. <clears throat> Not only does Ivan serve in this capacity, he also bravely and consistently takes the gospel to the streets of Fort Worth every Friday night. Rain or shine, Ivan is there. Brother Ivan is no sunshine soldier. <clears throat> I had the opportunity to stay with the Holt family. My whole family did when we had this terrible freezing winter storm that knocked out the electricity and left us without power and water for days. My family and I experienced the Bible calls, true biblical hospitality. We saw the gospel demonstrated in their home. Miss Yolanda and their children and our sweet brother Trey loved on us in a way that will never be forgotten. They lived out their faith in the privacy of their home just as they do in public. Ivan has proven himself to be a man after God's own heart, and we are honored to have him represent our church as our sent evangelist and city missionary. I look forward to serving with Ivan and Dave and their families for many years to come. Let's examine now what Paul means when referring to this ministry. When he says, therefore, have this ministry 
having this ministry, by the mercy of God, that we do not lose heart. I would like to examine the key elements that define the ministry and what we should expect as we embark on this journey in what Paul refers to when he says in Philippians 3, chapter 3, 14, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul clearly demonstrates what this ministry should look like, not only for himself, but for others who have been called. And I'd like to examine this ministry in three points. First point, as we break down this verse, Paul says, therefore, having this ministry. And it's so extremely important to go to the word of God to get an accurate definition of what true biblical ministry should look like. Because we know we've all been in um, other arenas and facets of our faith. We've seen a lot of things called ministry that weren't ministry at all. Not according to the scripture. Therefore, it's extremely important that we go to the word of God and, and try to understand what Paul is, is elaborating on here when he's talking about, therefore, having this ministry. What is Paul talking about when he's talking about this ministry? Well, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, the Bible says that, he, that God himself, God himself, he gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of what? The ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all, not just some of you, just not a compartmentalized few of you, but all of us come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is really ultimately what Paul is dealing with here when he's talking about having this particular ministry, dealing with what exactly is Paul talking about. And he he follows that up, as you see, he says, by the mercy of God. And that's coming to our second point here, which will kind of bleed all together, but we can't really understand perfectly what Paul's talking about when he deals with the ministry unless we understand that first of all, the engine, uh, the fuel uh, that really illuminates our ministry comes from the mercy of God. Paul says similar in Romans 1.1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Therefore, Paul says, as if referring to everything he had just said in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency comes from the mercy of God who has made us sufficient To be what? Ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Our sufficiency comes from the mercies of God and nowhere else. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, he says, Not that we are competent in ourselves 
to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul clearly illustrates in chapter 3 that we are not like Moses, as one whose glory had faded. But we are all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this mercy, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This is basically the preliminary um, thrust to, to what Paul is dealing with, that our ministry is not like that one of Moses, uh, the ministry that faded. But we have uh, a ministry of what the Bible calls the new covenant, that our ministry, as he will go on, as we'll go on to elaborate here and unfold, you will see that not only with the, with, in the Second Corinthians or First and Second Corinthians, but throughout all the pastoral epistles, even in the Book of Acts, we we get a taste of 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 what Paul is dealing with when he's dealing with the local church, pastoral leadership, with evangelism, missionary services, and the body of Christ. We see it all there. So you can't just take one letter and deal with the entirety of the call of God upon someone's life whether that be in pastoral ministry or whether that be in evangelism. This is a short but full definition, not only what the gospel is, but what this ministry is. The design and pattern of ministry should fit perfectly with the message being delivered. And this is why Paul says at the end of the verse that we do not lose heart. Because a lot of times we have to understand something. If the, if the word of God is preached in truth, the means in by which the word of God is taken to the public also must be in truth. It, it, you can't set the message of truth apart from the medium of truth. And these things basically come together. And this is why Paul is, is saying here, listen, first and foremost, we're not competent. You're not competent in yourself. We're only competent in Christ. And you're no longer, we're not, we're not the ministers of an old covenant, the passing away and fading covenant. We're ministers of a new covenant. We are preachers of God's holy word. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel in which we're commanded to preach. But in all of this, Paul ends that statement with, we do not lose heart. Because there's a portion here, and we all know from reading Paul's bio, Paul's past, the dealings of things that Paul put up with and the things that he has seen and the things that he dealt with and the pressures of ministry were all tied into this. He understood this reality. That when you get involved in ministry, when you get involved in leadership, there's an ugliness there that you don't always expect. There's warfare there that you didn't even know existed. And Paul had laid this disclaimer at the end saying, listen, you know, 
Therefore, you just heard me explain what the new covenant is that we preach. You just heard me explain basically in a nutshell what the gospel is. And you know that the fuel for that is the mercy of God. It isn't by any of your power. When you understand the mercy that's been displayed for you in your life, that Christ died for sinners, Christ died for you, and you have an understanding where you can say to yourself, such were some of us, you get that. By the mercies of God, you even have the ability to even be in what Paul's called this ministry. But if you're going to be in this ministry, and if your ministry is biblical, there's going to be that little add-on at the end that you would not lose heart. Because Paul's saying, if you're going to follow this path of true ministry, true biblical ministry, I'm just going to say this right now, do not lose heart. Because you will be challenged in ways you've never been challenged before if you preach the truth. If you preach the truth, if you're preaching the only way that man can be made right with God, you understand the threat that you are to the enemy when you proclaim the true word of God. Do you realize the threat that you are when you're proclaiming truth behind the pulpit to the people of God? And you're not compromising. You're not gimmicky. You're not trying to be funny. But you're preaching forth the truth of God, whether it's offensive or not offensive. You're not doing it to please people. You're doing it to please God. But when this happens, things happen. When Jesus was ministering, demons came to him. He understood spiritual warfare. And if we're going to be involved in this, this isn't a game we play. This is just something that we do on Sunday mornings. Come and listen to Jeff talk. Give me a break. This is a gathering of the saints. We're not here to hear Jeff talk. We're here to hear from God. We're here to hear the Word of God being preached in truth. And when you do that, let me just say this. When you step into that category or that arena of ministry, be ready for a fight. Be ready, as Paul says, that you don't lose heart. He said that you don't lose your salvation. But that we don't lose heart. We don't lose our heart. I don't know how many times I've told my wife Monday morning that I just can't do this anymore. I quit. But God's love always outshines the darkness and always puts you where you need to be. Because the challenges are real. The challenges are real. You guys all know this. I'm preaching to the choir. We all know the challenges of gospel ministry. But there is a certain dimension that I've never seen before being in pastoral ministry that's different than what I've seen in the past. Paul had a heart for the gospel. He had a heart for God. And he had a heart for the church. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And he concludes by saying, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul understood this whole idea of suffering and service. It's better that you just get that now and you understand that at the very beginning that this really is a service of suffering. This isn't a merry skip through the park. It's probably the most joyful thing that you'll ever experience or the most beautiful things you'll ever taste and do. But on the opposite end, it's probably the most suffering that you'll ever experience. 
Paul understood the whole idea of suffering and service encapsulated within the call to ministry. And we would do well to understand this as well. Paul said, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the danger of the country, in the danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. And have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I mean, that's a great um, introduction to pastoral ministry. Welcome aboard. This is the abundant life. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not faint. 2 Corinthians 4.2 kind of continues this thought where Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. I mean, this is very severe. But then he goes on to say, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, we put no obstacle, hear me now, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by the purity and knowledge and patience and kindness. The Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and through praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul does lay out some warnings and dangers of the call upon a minister's life and some things to, to ponder um, before, we, before we step into... Uh, Ministry in this particular realm. He lists three bewares. Three bewares. Paul's first warning in Philippians is he says, Beware of dogs. The dogs re- refers to uh, this verse as those in Galatians 5.15 where he talks about if you bite and you devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. This is an illustration here. Paul saying, beware of the dogs. Beware of those here that bite and devour one another. 
Because it happens. Some of the some of the nastiest things that you see aren't always in the world, but within our own churches. Some of the nastiest things said to one another and behavior that's repulsive. You experience stuff that that you never imagined would take place in the church. People talk, you know, talk to each other in ways that we would never even speak to our worst enemies. They bite. They not only bite you, but they devour you. Beware of those that do this. John Gill comments on this verse. He says, The illusion is to beast of prey falling upon and devouring one another. For wolves or dogs to worry sheep is not strange, but for sheep to distress one another is unnatural. The apostle does not say, If grievous wolves should enter in among you and not spare the flock, but suggest if they themselves should act the part of wolves to one another. You see, sheep don't bite and devour one another. But wolves do. The second beware, he said, beware of evil workers or evil doers. Evil doers. Psalms 119, the psalmist said, depart from me, ye evil doers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Romans 130 gives us a little bit of a definition of who are these evil doers, you know, and and to, things to be watched, to be watching for. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, things, disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Unforgiving and unmerciful. We want to talk about homosexuality until we're blue in the face, right? We want to talk about the big capital letter sins. We never want to talk about a person who's unmerciful or unforgiving or unloving or untrustworthy or undiscerning or disobedient to parents. We don't want to mention those things. It's easier for us to flag a big sin because it's easier to hide behind it. But here, the scripture doesn't allow us to hide. It makes things extremely transparent. Micah chapter 2, 1 says, Woe to evildoers. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Beware of evildoers. Beware of evildoers. We as the body of Christ, it's not just for me to be aware of evildoers. That's all of our job. Someone comes into the congregation and they're looking to be divisive. They're looking to threaten the flock. They're looking to bite and devour. They're practicers. They practice evil. We're to recognize that and to deal with that accordingly. The other beware, he says, is beware of the concision. In other words, it would what he means is beware of what he called the mutilation. Philippians 3, 2, he alluded to circumcision for the name whereof while they boasted, they cut asunder the church. He showed that we ought to use true circumcision, to wit, the circumcision of the heart, that cutting off of all wicked affections by the virtue of Christ. We may serve God in the purity of of life. That's true circumcision, by the way. It's the not only just what we would call obviously the circumcision of the heart, where God grants us a new heart with new affections and new appetites and new strengths and 
but it's a cutting off of, 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 of wicked affections. It's turning away from the things of the world and turning to Christ. Philippians 3, 3 says, for we are, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoiced in Christ Jesus and have no confidence is where they were putting in the flesh. Paul combats all these bewares by stating in verse 10 of Philippians, the four remedies to these attacks and they go as such. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You know, the only thing that's really going to allow you to persevere through the pain and through the adversity and through the attacks and everything that goes on in the world of ministry is to know him, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. I've already died with Christ. There's nothing more you can do to me. I'm already dead. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I don't, I'm not look, looking to live a better life or my best life now. We are called to live the crucified life. You see, the more that you follow Christ, the more that you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him, the more of you that dies, the more of Christ is revealed. The more that we die, the more that He is revealed. Not the more of us that lives. God will share His glory with no other. It's the newness of life and the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 1, 20 and 21 says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether that's through my life and through my living in this apostate, perverted world that we live in today. Trying to live for Christ could mean in some places the same strength to die for Christ. Some countries where there's not much going on over there, they don't have all the the social media and all the things that we put up with here, all the glamour, all the prosperity, all the money grubbing, all the health and wealth, all the stuff that entangle us today and constantly this ornamental life of American Christianity that we just gravitate towards. In some countries, they don't have that. And it's better off that they don't. But they're faced with the persecution of just dying for their faith. But over here in America, it takes the same strength as it would to die for your faith in another country to live for your faith here, truly and biblically. To truly be a follower of Christ in the purity by which we are called is exactly at that level. That's why, that's why Paul says, for me to live, Christ, to die, Christ. It's the entirety of our existence. And this is why when you are alive here now, that Christ must be magnified in your life. And then when you die, Christ will be magnified in your life death. 
2 Corinthians said, chapter 3, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech and being conformed to his death. In other words, the word holy, the word conformed actually means made to resemble or made to look like. It isn't walking around looking like a dead person, by the way, because there's a lot of that that goes on within the church as well. But it, 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 it's having this deadness to the old life and a vitality that's given to us by Christ for the new life. And these deep principles will keep you from being surprised by sudden attacks, betrayals, hardships, and rejection. First Peter says, 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I don't know. I mean, hasn't happened a lot, but most of the time when something does happen, unfortunately, I fail this test because it seems like a surprise to me. It seems like a surprise. It is shocking because usually, you know, fiery trials don't usually come when you expect it. can't plan for it. It just kind of happens like we'd call like a sucker punch. It just hits you from out of nowhere and then you've got to somehow be able to deal with it. And it, a lot of times, I'll admit to you this morning that it, it, it is very surprising. Like, what's going on? What's going on? And then obviously, once you kind of unravel and realize that, hey, this is the normal Christian life. This is what we're called to suffer and subject ourselves to. And I don't think we really understand suffering much in America, by the way, but... I do understand that pain is pain. Paul said this one thing that I do. One thing. Not dabbling in 40 different things. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things that are which are before. Paul says I press toward the goal for the prize for the, of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And this whole idea is being stretched to agonize or agony. I mean, this whole idea of this upward call isn't something of what we would make out as a Hollywood movie as you making it to the top of the success chain. This is dealing with being stretched and, and agony and, and pain and being basically thrown into the tumbling block and coming out of the fire. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add my afflictions to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. This verse shows the stability of the believer. In the book of James, he says that a double-minded man is really unstable in all of his ways and we need to be a stable, we need to be stable people. Especially stable leadership. There's no, there's nothing more, I think, um, gross than instability in the leadership of a church. Um, unstable leadership is not good. One thing that we should really inject into our body is that the body of believers should be able to come into church and know that the leadership of the church is a stable leadership. They're not double-minded men. That they are, they operate in stability. And this is extremely powerful that, that we're not unstable because if you're unstable in one area, the Bible says you're, you're unstable in every area, in all your ways. 
So we want to be stable. We want to be stable. We want to be predictable. People say, well, I don't like being predictable. You know, I just kind of, well, be predictable when it comes to the things of God. You can be predictable in bringing your wife home flowers, but don't be unpredictable when it comes to church service. The preaching of God's word, sharing your faith, living a godly and holy life. Be predictable in those things. Don't be unpredictable. Don't be one way and another back and forth because the Bible calls you an unstable person and it's not good. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem one another better than themselves. In one twenty-seven of Philippians, it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Titus 1.8, the Bible says that a pastor must be upright. He has integrity in his relationships and how he treats others. A pastor must be holy and his life devoted wholeheartedly to Jesus externally and internally. You don't want to be the great pretender because it'll definitely come out in the wash sooner or later. You want to be a man that's totally sold out to Christ with integrity both on the outside and the inside, both in the church and outside of the church. Yes, we're talking about inward integrity of your own heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says, we heard this morning, the Lord does not hear us. 1 Timothy 3.1 tells us the qualifications of an elder. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with his pride, we're not to lay our hands on someone too quickly, lest he falls into condemnation as the devil, same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And there must be teamwork. There must be teamwork. There must be delegation within the church. There must be others in the church that can rise up and take on tasks within the Bible. God, there, there, there has to be a sense of, yes, the leadership is there, but with the leadership, there also must be teamwork. Philippians 2.12 calls the work of church planning the work of Christ which is in re- reference to Epaphroditus, whom Paul calls his companion in labor and fellow soldier, and who was nigh unto death in regards to his life because of his work for Christ. What was Epaphroditus's work? It was church planning, which almost killed him. Paul says in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a lot to take in this morning. It's a lot of just verses coming at you. I realize that. But a call into pastoral ministry and a call as a Christian, we must be as the scriptures define us, not how we want to define ourselves. We must look at the word of God and say, this is what your ministry is going to look like, Dave. 
this, this, this. If you don't have a healthy view of what to expect, you're going to get destroyed. If you think it's just, you know, starting a business and going into this and doing this and this whole corporate America mindset into the church, you're just going to get ruined. And it's just going to be just a big business project. And it's going to offend God. But you walk into it and you know that these things are things that not might happen to you. If you're truly preaching the word of God and you're truly doing what God has called you to do, you will have these things happen to you. This is a part of it. And it's best to be prepared in the beginning. And you as well, Ivan. You know, in, in, in the work of the ministry as it comes to proclaiming Christ and preaching the truth outdoors, you're held accountable because there's a lot of goofy stuff out there that's not biblical. There's a lot of garbage out there that does more harm than good. And you go out there, you're not just reflecting yourself. I mean, first and foremost, you're reflecting Christ. Second, you're reflecting your local church. You represent us out there. When you're out there, you, re- you reflect the body of Christ locally. But also, you reflect the body of Christ universally as well. So we have a lot to be accountable for when we handle the word of God. And I know you already know this, but I have to lay it before you today uh, before you take that next step. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So at this point of our service, I would like to invite uh, Pastor Sean, Dave Griffin, Pastor Chuck O'Neill, and Ivan Holt. If you guys don't mind, you can come up to the stage, please. Pastor Chuck O'Neill, um, a very dear friend of mine, he, uh, years ago when I, when another elder at the time, we started 116 Bible Church, um, just a scope of what 116 Bible Church stood for. Um, I would say you were moved, moved by that. And he's been in pastoral ministry for 20, over 25 years. He, he's been pastoring uh, you know, in Portland. Uh, his church was Beaverton Bible Church. And now he is now officially Portland 116 Bible Church. Um, but he, he reached out to me and said, why not a fellowship of churches that share the same vision? Uh, where you know where we can see church planted all around the world, godly churches, godly churches where the word of God is preached, and the and and and, and the church, the people of God have a place to gather and hear the word of God preached, and and evangelists being sent out uh, to preach the word of God, and and more church plants coming from there, and just seeing the beauties of Christ uh, just expressed in this way is just so moving. It's celebrative. And knowing full well there's no power in us. But when Pastor Chuck reached out to me, I was very excited about the the potential uh, of that idea. And I've known Pastor Chuck now for, I believe, 10, 12 years now. And all I've seen from his life is a very trustworthy and godly man with a godly family, a godly ministry, a godly church. He faithfully preached the gospel consistently. Abortion mills, 
Um, wherever he gets a chance, he's there. He's been with me throughout the United Kingdom, but he's always offered the, the, the portion of 116 Bible Fellowship that is needed, and that's pastoral oversight. Being there to be able to help us work through issues and understand things. I've been in this four years, brothers and sisters. You know, I'm no professional, um, but we have a fellowship that offers the wisdom of this whole endeavor. And Pastor Chuck has been a great mentor uh, to me in this realm and has offered uh, a lot of help and advice, has been a great blessing to my family, to my wife, to my children. And over the years of Jeremiah Cry Ministry, he has always been there supporting, getting behind me, and really being a phenomenal support system. And I love him and trust him very much. So. He came here today because he was very instrumental in um, Dave wanting to do a church plan. So I would ask if you don't mind um, if you could say a few words. Does this work, John? Uh, yeah, if you turn it on. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Jeff. What a joy to be here with you, dear saints. Last time I was here with you a few years ago was, was one of the first times I preached with glasses. We're, we're all getting older. <laughs> Uh, so it's a joy to look at the Word of God with clarity and, and with you, uh, it's you a bit blurry this morning. But I'm here because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here because I love His church. I'm here because I love lost, perishing sinners around the globe. I'm here because I love Pastor Jeff and his wonderful family, Pearl, and children. I'm here because I love each one of you. And I'm excited about what God is doing uh, when, when God moved, God moved Pastor Jeff from evangelist to pastor evangelist. It was God's clear providence. And I saw it from afar and was happy to walk with him and celebrate it with him and what God was doing. And when he named the church 116 Bible Church, it, it just dawned on me that God was doing something bigger than a single church. And and so, yes, I, I wrote Jeff and I said, brother, uh, yeah, let's make this a fellowship. And we've got two churches now. Um, and in the, the months and years since then, time flies. We're all getting old quick. Uh, I'll remind you of that. Uh, time is short. Eternity's coming. Time is short. We, we have one brief chance to magnify Christ through the ministry of his glorious gospel. First Timothy 1.15 is one of my favorite texts. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what it's all about, saints. That's what it's all about. And that's what the 116 Fellowship is all about. One fellowship united together beneath Christ with one main common goal to see sinners saved to the glory of God. All of us united together in that. And I want to read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and following, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that from God. Yes. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict that you saw in me 
and now here is in me. And while Romans 1.16 is the foundational truth motto, if you will, of our fellowship, I look to Philippians 1.27 following as well as near and dear to our hearts as I consider the calling of Ivan to the work of evangelist and my brother Dave from evangelist to evangelist pastor. Uh, what a joy, what a glory to look to this text and invite them to join in the, the fellowship of suffering, the fellowship of the suffering that Paul invited us all to join in, all to take up the cross, to die to self, take up the cross and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ together in the earth. And so I'm blessed to be here today as pastor of the Portland 116 Bible Church here at the Texas 116 Bible Church to tell you you're part of a fellowship that's gone global in these few short years with Pastor Blaine in Taiwan, of all places, standing on the streets proclaiming the glorious name of Jesus Christ surrounded by a sea of Taiwanese. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And one of the most sweet-hearted men, I think, on the planet there. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Brewer up in Oklahoma, faithfully preaching the word of God. I know he's been down here to visit you, and I know you know him and love him. And uh, Pastor Peter, too, another sweet-hearted man, a stalwart defender of the faith, an excellent apologist, standing on the streets of Birmingham and elsewhere and all through Great Britain, proclaiming Jesus Christ our King and preaching the doctrines of the faith, the one true faith, faithfully in the pulpit every Lord's Day. And praise God, years ago, last time I was here, um, I, I told my brother Dave, I, I said, you know what, either move here and become an elder evangelist with Brother Jeff and serve the Lord here in this capacity, but get out of New Jersey and uh, this, this challenged, compromising church that he was in and, and uh, wanting to move on and, and find a better place to serve the Lord and either move here and join Jeff or plant a church out there, a 116 church there. And in God's time, that's exactly what's taking place. And that is beautiful. That's a blessing. And uh, I, I've had the joy of standing on the, the streets next to Dave. I've had the joy of sitting right here under Dave's preaching. I've had the joy of uh, sharing a room with him. And I, I've seen him endure for Christ. I've seen him strive for Christ, press on for Christ. And what a blessing uh, to see God's hand move him and compel him and gather a church around him. While we are ordaining him here, here today, they as a church will, will ordain him back in Maryland. And that's a beautiful thing to see what God is doing. God raises up his preachers. And the church recognizes that. And so we're here to recognize what God is doing in Dave's life, what God is doing in Ivan's life. And I'm blessed to be here Ivan's first Lord's Day uh, as a worship leader. <laughs> he did a wonderful job. Uh, the Lord is raising him up in various capacities. And what a humble and sweet heart. And I, I just I praise the Lord for that heart that the Word of God dwells in. And so with that, I'm just so glad to be amongst you. I look forward to meeting some of you or all of you and fellowshipping with you this afternoon. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Let us go ahead and move on to the next and final phase. The Bible talks about laying hands um, on others in, in, in reference to sending them out. Acts uh, chapter 6 verse 6 says, And these they brought before the apostles, and 
after praying, they laid their hands on them. We're not apostles, so, but you get what the, the Bible is trying to say. In Acts 13, 3, it says, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them. 2 Timothy 1, 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. So the laying on of hands is biblical. And this is what we are going to do at this time. So, um, Brother Dave and I, if you guys don't mind standing like we're here by each other, guys, you want to gather around? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray over them. Let us all join in prayer and let us bow our heads as we, we pray for these men. Lord, we humbly pray for your newly for your servants, Lord, newly set apart and ordained into the ministry of the new covenant. Make it their chiefest joy, Lord, to study thee, to meditate upon thee, to gaze on thee, to sit like Mary at thy feet, to lean like John on thy breast. Appeal like Peter to thy love. May they count like Paul all things as dumb compared to the excellency of knowing Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Though they are chosen of thee, O God, and honored by thee, high and holy calling, let them never forget that they are only men of dust and ashes and men with all the natural faults and passions that plague the race of men. Oh God, give them increase and progress and grace that there may be more decision in their character, more vigor in their purposes, the best use of their time and gifts, more elevation in their life, more fervor in personal devotions, more constancy Consistency in their zeal. May they be a loving and faithful husbands to their wives, patient and caring fathers, never provoking their children to wrath, but bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. May their dear wives be a constant support to them and a blessing to the congregation and their neighbors. May they never seek as we creatures what can be only found in the Creator. May they never cease from seeking thee and your kingdom until it vanishes into sight. Then, dear Lord, when they are old and when they are weary and when they are tired and too tired to go on, have a place ready for them above and make them to be numbered with thy saints in glory everlasting. In Christ, beautiful, holy, righteous name, we pray. Amen, and so be it. Amen. Amen. So church, we present to you by the Council of the Eldership this morning, Pastor Dave Griffin and Evangelist Ivan Holt.
very important part of this week's service, the taking of the Lord's Supper. And I want you to please reflect, not just on the message I was preaching today, but on what we got to take part in in the commissioning and the sending out of a new pastor and a new evangelist. And use this as an opportunity to reflect inwardly by the light of God's grace. And to use this as an opportunity to examine ourselves so that we do not take of this meal unworthily, but that instead we do so to the Lord. So, if you would please, I would ask that you would please bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to recite a passage of scripture, and then there will be a moment of silence for you to prepare between you and God individually. And then once you feel, think, and believe that the Lord has prepared you, you may rise from your seats, individually or as a family, proceed out the double doors in the back, and take up the elements, again, individually or as a family. And then from there you will be dismissed next door to the annex of the In this first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes regarding the Lord's Supper. For on the night on which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, Take it, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, This cup is my blood, which was shed for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. us your name and 
a seat at your table. Lord, it is that table that we, we focus on tonight. Lord, it is that table that we believe in a very real way we are not only representing, but looking forward to participating in. This time be a time where you do a mighty work in your people. Cleanse your bride. Wash us from the iniquity that still so stubbornly seeks to cling to us. And that we all too often and all too willingly want right to. Lead us in self-examination by the light of your word and the illumination of your spirit. May not one of us who does not belong to you partake of these elements. And may not one of us who has unrepentant, revealed sin in our life take of these elements. <coughs> 